We pray. O Lord, to whom else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Amen. Dearly beloved, gathered, waiting, and expecting in every way the coming of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be to you. Oh, the expectation, the hope, the joy of having a new child. My wife Rachel and I are experiencing that yet again now as we wait for our, our third child, who's due in April. And what a joy it is, right? One of the wonderful things about it is to think about all the possibilities, the potential, all the things that this child could be, all the things that this child could do. And then, as your children grow, you start to see it. Little glimpses of their personality, little tastes of the different things that they're good at. One of them might be athletic, another one artistic, or both. The intellect, the compassion, the kindness, maybe even good-looking. Absalom appears to have been all of the above. He was born to David during a time of great optimism in David's life. It was after the black years when he had to run away for his life from Saul all the time were over. It was when the clouds of civil war were clearing away. Every day, David's forces grew stronger, and every day the armies aligned against him, commanded by Abner, were growing weaker and weaker. The war wasn't technically over, but it was over. And everyone knew it, including Abner, who would soon abdicate and come to David's side. It was a time of energy and strength and optimism. Not yet had come the troubles that David had with his sins with Bathsheba and then the whole thing with Uriah. And Absalom was born, and I suppose that's probably what his name is given to him for. Absalom is from the words av, Shalom, which means father of peace. No doubt, David is thinking about God, the father of peace, the one who had promised to give him this kingdom and, and has now done so. He's looking forward to this peaceful future he has in mind, hopefully, optimistically, for himself, for his children, for his kingdom. And at first, those hopes must have grown as Absalom grew. He appeared to be everything that a father would want in a son. He was a leader among his brothers, charismatic, creative, intelligent, caring, at least to some degree, and apparently the best-looking young man in Israel to boot. But then something went wrong. Nathan foretold that it would happen. After David sinned with Bathsheba and then killing Uriah, Nathan told David that there was going to be trouble in his family as a result of what he had done. Clouds that would gather and break into a terrible storm, and it started with Amnon. Amnon was David's oldest son, born about the same time as Absalom, but from a different mother. And Amnon raped David's daughter Tamar. It was Amnon's half-sister, Absalom's full sister. And not only did he rape her, but then, when he was done, he cast her aside like so much garbage. She begged him at least to marry her. That might sound really weird, but you have to understand how incredibly vulnerable women were in that day and in that culture. Basically, if you weren't a virgin, you had no chance of getting married. And if you didn't get married, you had no future. So she was begging with him at least to marry her after he did what he did. And he wouldn't. It says that 
afterwards, he hated her even more than he had loved her, meaning wanted her, beforehand. Well, you can imagine that Absalom, who loved his sister Tamar very much, was furious about this. He knew that Amnon should have been put to death. I think everyone knew that Amnon should have been put to death for all that he did. I think David knew that Amnon should have been put to death, but he did not do it. So Absalom plotted. For two years, he held his peace, pretending not to be all that upset. And then he threw a party for all of the king's sons, all of his brothers. And at that party, Amnon got a little bit tipsy, Absalom summoned his servants and they killed Amnon. Whereupon all of the other of the king's sons fled in terror. They must have thought Absalom's organizing this coup d'etat. He's going to take over. He's, he's making his claim for the throne. But I don't think that was it. I don't think Absalom was thinking about rebellion at that point. He was just thinking about getting vengeance for his sister. Because David wouldn't do it. So Absalom ran away. He knew David would be angry that he had taken matters into his own hands. He ran away to his grandfather's house, who was the king of Geshur. David longed to go to him, longed to send word to him. It actually says that David was somewhat comforted about Absalom because Amnon was dead. What I take that to mean is that while David wasn't pleased about the way Absalom had done what he had done, he was kind of glad that someone had done it. So some years go by. And finally, Joab convinces David to, to summon Absalom. He hadn't been willing to do it. He wanted to do it, but just he couldn't bring himself to do it. I don't know if he, he didn't want to admit that, that he had been wrong not to take care of the problem himself. I don't know if he, he didn't want to be seen to be offering like special favor to his son when the whole kingdom knew what Absalom had done. But finally, Joab convinces him, and David brings Absalom back, but he bans Absalom from coming into his presence. And after a while, Absalom gets pretty tired of that too. And he sends word to David, he says basically this, you know, if you're going to execute me, just do it. Otherwise, let me come and see you again. And David relents. But by this time, Absalom clearly has resented David. Believes that he'd be a better king himself, and again begins plotting. Playing the long game, using all that intelligence and all that creativity and all that charm and charisma. He spends five years turning the hearts of the people against his father. They'll come to, to Jerusalem looking for some judgment from the king, and he'll tell them, oh, David doesn't have time for you, but, but I do. If only we had a king who really cared about the people. And then he staged his rebellion. And Absalom, whose name means father of peace, became the father of war. And I think we know how that ended. Absalom's army is defeated. Absalom gets stuck by his thick, luxurious hair and the branches in the forest is left hanging there. And even though David had commanded his men not to hurt Absalom, Joab goes and sticks him through with three spears. So it came to this. All David's hopes for his son ended. All the great expectations, all the things that he could have done, all the things that he could have been, all the good he could have done, gone. Rarely has a relationship between a parent and a child gone quite so badly as that. And yet, those relationships do get complicated sometimes, don't they? Unmet expectations, 
either because the parents are expecting unreasonable things or because the children are rebellious and sinful. Sometimes it's because people care too much about the little things and not enough about the big things. Sometimes it's because of a failure to discipline or sometimes it's because of a failure to love. Sometimes it's because there's that argument that leads to a sullen silence and then years go by. And you know what you want to say and you know what you should say, but you just can't bring yourself to be the one that makes the first move, the one that picks up the phone, the one that says the first word. It causes such sorrow, bitterness. But you know, this story reminds us even more of our own rebellion against God, our Father. Talk about great expectations. Talk about joy and hope when God created the world and he made people as the crown of his creation and he gave you everything. He made you in his own image. He made you as his sons and daughters and desired to live with you in perfect fellowship and joy forever. And we rebelled. That's what sin is. And it wasn't because God was unreasonable. It wasn't because God failed in some duty. It was just because of our sin. Think about your own life. How often have you, like Absalom, decided that you knew better than your father, God? Decided to take matters into your own hands and lived, not on the basis of, of love and forgiveness, but of jealousy, of anger, of hatred, of vengeance. How often have you taken the gifts that God has given you, whether, whether charisma or intelligence, musical ability, wealth, or good looks, and used them not to love God and serve your neighbor, but for your own selfish purposes and goals? Where does all this sin and rebellion get us? Because that's what it is. It's rebellion. Every sin that you commit is a rebellion against God a thousand times worse than Absalom's rebellion against his father. Where did it get Absalom? Well, pride goeth before the fall, they say. So it was. Stuck in a tree and stuck through with a spear like a pig on a spit. What of you and me? Our sin and rebellion against God brings wrath. The wrath of God against all sin stuck through with death as with a spear and damned to eternal hell. That's where it would get us anyway, except for God's love. God's love is greater. A father's heart he turned to me, we sang a little while ago. God's love is greater than your sin, it's greater than your rebellion, and it is much greater than David's love. In our text from 2 Samuel, we heard that that pain in David's heart. The pain of a father losing a child, because that's what that was. Despite everything that Absalom had done, despite all that had passed between them, in the end, David was grieving as any father over the death of his son, maybe more so than others. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, and I think that this is the main thing that it's talking about, that he had the heart of a father for his child, even a child who had rebelled against him as God does for you. The thing is that David, David's love couldn't fix anything. He said, oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son, oh, I wish that I had died instead of you, which of course is what Absalom was going for. Absalom in pride was saying, dad, you die so I can be king. And David was saying, son, let me die so that you can live. But it is exactly that heart of love which your father had for you. He longed desperately for your salvation 
and his love was deep enough and great enough to do something about it. He sent his only begotten son. That's what Christmas is about. That God gave that greatest of gifts and sent his son to the cross. Now, if David's heart was so broken to see his rebellious son die, how must the father's heart have rended open wide to see his obedient son willingly suffer on the cross for you? But this is what he desired. This son, who is the perfect image of the father, who from eternity dwelt in a perfect joy of light and love with the father that we can't even begin to understand. The two of, the, the two of them grinning at each other from time unknown that they were broken by choice for you. Because Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one, desired your salvation so deeply that the Son of God became a Son of Man, that he bore the great expectation of a world gone wrong, of restoring it to what it was meant to be, that he bore on his shoulders the weight of keeping the law for you, was perfectly obedient to his earthly parents and to his Father's plan of salvation. And in those darkest moments, those painful moments, in the wilderness and in Gethsemane and on the tree, when the Father turned away and the Son cried out in dismay, still he trusted Still he stayed, still he obeyed, still he died. And so the father's heart was broken to pour out his love to you. The father and the son were sundered that they might welcome you into the joy of their love. He, like Absalom, both of them sons of David, hung from a tree. But he, in order to pay for your rebellion, he to become a curse for you so that you might be his very own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness and innocence and joy. Now the Father's heart is open wide. He beams down upon you with pleasure as his dearly beloved children baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now he is truly to you the father of peace, since he has made peace through the death of his son. Now you are Absalom, but with a different ending. Not great expectations cut short, not rebellion hanging from a tree, but children of God and heirs of eternal life. You know, in our text from Samuel, these messengers came to David, telling him that they had good news. And the first one in particular comes, and when he greets David, he says, Shalom, peace, or good news. The good news that he thought he had for David, and it was good news to some extent, was that David's side had won. But the news of the death of Absalom was no peace to David, or to Absalom, or to anyone, really. And it's, it's ironic, right? The, the Holy Spirit is making this play on words. Here's Absalom, the father of peace. And there is no peace in his death. But your father to you truly is now the father of peace through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, the true son of David, the king of righteousness who rules in peace by forgiving your sins. Therefore, live as dearly beloved children, 
as we read from Ephesians. Walk in love as Christ loved you and gave himself up for you. Walk in hope, in peace of the great expectation of eternal life through Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Lord. Amen. And now the peace which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.